Hey everyone, welcome to The Common Good. Normally joined by Brian Fromm. My name is Ian Simpkins. This is the week of special guests. This hour, I have a very special guest. Joe Thorne is in the studio for The Common Good on AM 1160. Welcome to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins. Brian Fromm is in Mexico for his anniversary, but you can still find us all over the World Wide Web. Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com. Plus, we are podcasted, but we have a very special in-studio guest, Joe Thorne, the man I think we've been trying to get you on for close to a year, to be honest. Know, Dan, Dan has mentioned it. Uh, has he really? Dan, the man, he's, he's like, hey, man, we'd like you to come on. And... Uh, I just ain't got time for you guys. You know, I just I'm, I got a lot going on. I'm very busy, very important person. No, I honestly um, things. Last year was probably one of the roughest years of my life. No and, kidding. Um, and I, yeah. And so this year actually is feeling pretty good. I'm right feeling on. like I'm really thanking the Lord for not giving me a double dose of. of <laughs> Suffering in the valley of the shadow of death. So, yeah, um, I was happy to come on uh, when I got the, the invitation. So, wow. thanks. I know it's going to be the last time since I spilled water all over your <laughs> electronics and everything else. Sat down, like it just. just then Mr. Serious came in here and he was giving me the eye. Yeah, I don't think the I don't know what's even working right now. Yeah, this is, so, we're just talking to an empty us. room. It's, it's just, just us, us you know hanging out it's with microphones. <laughs> all right, so we're going to get to your last year and everything that you just kind of teed up there. But but first, could you just introduce yourself yeah. in whatever way, shape, or form you see fit? Since nobody knows who I am, who listens to your show, my name. <laughs> Is Joe Thorne. I am one of the founding pastors of a church in St. Charles, Illinois, called Redeemer Fellowship. Um, I say one of because uh, there was about four of them. there were four elders who founded that church. So I'm mm. not the everybody says they're the founding pastor because I preach, right? But that's I'm not. I'm one of the four <laughs> founding pastors of that church, and so we've been going for about uh, almost 13 years. Um, Love that church. I, I hope God allows me to stay there until uh, he puts me in the ground. And uh, let's see. I've got uh, four kids married to uh, one of my favorite people in the world. I have to say one of because, you know, Jimmy Fowler is my co-host in my podcast. And, <laughs> and he uh, would take that personally. Yes, if he did. I would hear about it. So, yeah, Jen is awesome. She's a great theologian, a great friend. She is uh, the greatest partner I could imagine. Four kids. They're all awesome. I'm very blessed in in, in the family area. Yeah, so that's I feel, awesome. I feel yeah. very rich by what God has That's a me. heck of an intro. Way to go. All right. So you just mentioned a little earlier. Let's just get into it then. Why was this last year so rough? That was not on the list. I have a oh, list in here sorry, in front of me that we're read. supposed to talk um, about. And that that the, is not on uh, The Trinity. Uh, what else do we here have? Oh, Early please. Church Fathers. Yeah, divine Simplicity. Oh, okay, good. Let's do that. Yeah, we don't have to talk about any of that at all. We can talk about whatever you want. Uh, what do you think you're known for in the area, though? Like, in general, I, I know you and have tweeted about you as the guy with the beard, which you recently shaved. I didn't shave it. <laughs> oh, okay, don't trim. Don't listen. That's slander. I, I did not fake news. That's yeah, a good point. Okay, thanks, Fox. <laughs> I mean, I'm looking thanks, right thanks now. for showing up. Or CNN, whatever. They're all fake. I don't think any of them are real news. Um, so, okay, look, uh, what am I known for? I'm not that. I'm not known. I'm known in a very small circle of the Calvinistic and Reformed people. Uh, so if you're in that world, you might know me for a couple of books or the podcast. Right. But um, what's the name of the podcast? Doctrine and Devotion. Uh, you can find it at DoctrineAndDevotion.com. It's on all of your podcatchers and players. Uh, we release episodes every Monday and Thursday. It's me and another pastor at the church, Jimmy Fowler. Awesome. And uh, it's just us cracking wise and talking about theology from a Reformed Baptist perspective. It's fun. So why don't you give us some of your background then? What's your story? Because I, I find that 
you know, the the testimony of pastors varies so much more than I ever ever realized. Some guys are like, oh, it's seven. I knew I was supposed to preach the word, and that's what I'm doing. That's I'm like, what did my friend Travell. Yeah. Really? He was preaching at nine. No way. Mm-hmm. See, that's just not my story at all. I ran as long as I possibly could until God made me tap out, yeah. so to speak. So I'm like, I'm just curious. What's your what's your story? How'd you end up where you're at? Well, the uh, short story would be I grew up uh, with a mom and a dad who loved me very, very much, uh, but didn't really give me any rules to live by. Mm. Uh, no curfew, pretty much do, watch, whatever I want to do. And as long as I didn't disrespect them, right? Because that was important. Right, respect right, your mom. Right. Because uh, that wouldn't go well. But otherwise, very supportive, very loving, And uh, but I had to figure things out on my own. And uh, I wound up asking a lot of very serious questions about what's the purpose of life? Why is there suffering? Mm. Um, why am I not happy? Why do I want to kill myself, even at a young age? And wow. They didn't really have any answers for that stuff. Um, I found my way into the occult, into the atheistic Levain brand of Satanism, into theistic Satanism, which was what some people would call it, hmm. and got all the worldly stuff that I had been yearning for and found that to be pretty empty and dark. And uh, I heard the gospel for the first time as a senior in high school, I believe. I was no 17. kidding. Wow. Yeah, this uh, girl was missionary, decided the missionary date the Satanist. That yeah. was awesome. <laughs> a smart move on her part. But it actually, God used that. Um, yeah, sounds like. She's a wonderful person. Her family were wonderful. They shared the gospel with me a year of seeing that I was going to hell, that that was fair and just, and I didn't want it, but I couldn't believe it was just too much. Eventually, while reading the Gospel of Matthew in my bedroom, after I had graduated from high school, I was converted. and uh, In your bedroom? Yep, on my waterbed. What's up? <laughs> What's up? You got the bap- the 80s. You got you baptism right there. Yeah, I just, you know. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, no, I was just reading Matthew and went from not believing, from being confused about it. Not that God could forgive, but that he hmm. would forgive somebody who hated him and hated the church, even though I didn't know the church at all, of course. Right, right. And, uh, and done some really things that, things that really um, I found to be painfully... Um, convicting. I was wow. guilty of a lot of things. I was, I was an after school special about the, the bad. It was cheesy, cliche, bad <laughs> kid stuff that I did in the eighties. Uh, but I was converted, and um, yeah, things started changing rapidly for me then. And so, yeah, that would, I was converted in nineteen ninety. Okay, how did so? How did you end up as a pastor then? Like the conversion in your bedroom is is one thing to actually now be like leading a church and to be a pastor of pastors and all that. You paying attention? Pretty much anybody can be a pastor these days. Man. <laughs> I mean, pretty much anybody can it's pastor a church. You That's true. Uh, Was that your first thought? Like, well, I guess I have to be a pastor now. Um, no, actually, uh, in fact, some Christians told me that my past was too messed up. You know, sexual promiscuity, Satanism, yeah, drugs. Right. All, like, you, you could never be a pastor. Right. And we're, it was, we're glad you're saved, but maybe yeah, this profession it, isn't. Just, <laughs> like, you know, go, go and do what you were planning on doing. Right. What, what, die at 30? Right. Like, that was what I was planning on doing. So I don't know. You want me to do that? They uh, No, I wanted to know. I didn't know the story of Cain and Abel. I didn't know the Bible at all. Right. So I got converted. I started reading the Bible over and over and over again, going to every Bible study I could, listening to Christian radio nonstop. And of course, whatever I heard on Christian radio had to be the truth because it's Christian radio. Right. <laughs> and then eventually this girl, Candy, she's a wonderful Christian girl, still lives in the area. Um, her family was constantly kind of encouraging me and coaching me and, you know, correcting some of the things I would hear on the radio that were mm. wrong and then affirming many of the other things. And when I told them that I wanted to be a pastor because I wanted to help people 
come to know the God that I was getting to know, then maybe I should look into that. Right. Uh, they encouraged it. L- local pastor of the church I started going to said, you should, you should actually look into this, pursue that. And so um, uh, after I got affirmation from the church and some Christians around me that were mature, I went to Moody Bible Institute. Right on. And uh, just to see what was what and figure things out. And that's where the calling got m- more and more narrowed to pastoral ministry in the North American context um, probably church planting. By 94, I was pretty convinced it would have to be a church plant. No kidding. And that was, uh, or church plants. And that was, um, yeah, it just got more and more clear as the as the years ticked on, um, especially after I met my wife and we got married and went to seminary and all of that. So, yeah, that was the general direction. See, and I didn't know most of that. That's a remarkable story. I'm, I'm imagining it's clear to most of our listeners too why I'm excited to have you in the studio that Satan has turned pastor and what you're doing in the world now, I think is... Just remarkable. So coming up next, we're going to talk about the local church. We're going to talk about cool. uh, why are some Calvinists so mean? Maybe we'll talk about whiskey and cigars. Are we allowed to talk about that? I am. I don't oh, know if you are. <laughs> it's 1160, bro. Shoot, I just mentioned it already. Uh, it's know. already out in the ether, man. No, it's all right. there. Well, all right. Let be what come. Is that the phrase? I don't think so. Let come what may. That's Beware all, right. all ye who enter. Beware is that what it, I think that's that's the one you're that's looking, what I'm for. looking okay. for. Beware all, right. all ye. This too shall pass. We're done. It's not going to happen. Anyway, so coming up for the rest of the hour, Joe Thorne is going to tell us some more of his story and some of what he is uh, doing in the world. That's all coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, but Brian Fromm is MIA. We're worried. If you see him, please let us know. But you can find us on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com, slash The Common Good, plus wherever it is you get your podcast. I'm joined all week by some very special in-studio guests. And for the whole entire hour, the right Reverend Joe Thorne is in the house. And before we get back to kind of his story, uh, he has some words to share with you. The new year is underway. And our friends at InTouch Ministries want to bless you with a complimentary wall calendar called Blessed to be the Church, featuring Charles Stanley's original photography of churches around the world. An inspirational Bible verse from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount and a motivational quote from Dr. Stanley accompany each photo. Get yours today absolutely free at 1160hope.com slash contest. That's 1160hope.com slash contest. And everyone who signs up will be entered to win a copy of the Charles Stanley Life Principles Bible. Sign up today at 1160hope.com slash contest. <laughs> I like What's how that up? was, that was like NPR for most of it. And then you ended like in your death metal growl. You got to end it. You got to end the it. Contest. Big. You got to, you got to get that in. You get that Charles Stanley, you know, that's, yeah. that's easily the best that liner has ever been. Well, read. I wanted to do justice. I really, I mean, listen, really appreciate listen. that. Now, wait a minute. If they, if it, I'll tell you right now, if it was Andy Stanley, I would have read it totally different. Uh, all right. So here's a couple of things. If you're just joining us. So Joe's story is insane. If you're just tuning in, I encourage you to go back and listen to the podcast. But essentially, in a nutshell, Satanist turn pastor. Right. Well, no, no. Satanist turned Christian. If you Satanist turned pastor, you'd be a Satanist pastor. Oh, I would touche. Say Satanist touche. converted. <laughs> All right. Eventually became a pastor. It went, uh, the salvation piece yeah. is important is what you're saying. It was, it was about an eight-year journey before I was pastoring. Anything, okay. So. That's an important distinction. Good call. All right. So you're a pastor in a church. Where can people go to learn more about the church and the podcast again all the way? Okay. Well, the church is RedeemerFellowship.org. Okay. And uh, so just go there. Uh, beautiful website designed by Pastor Brian Malcolm. Hey-o. And uh, yeah. You can find our sermons, our resources on there. Everything's up. And uh, it's, it's a church located in St. Charles, Illinois. Small church, not a big church. and uh, But it's the healthiest church I've ever been, ever been a part of. Absolutely love the people there. And the podcast is DoctrineAndDevotion.com. It's a podcast that explores Christian faith and practice, but from a Reformed Baptist perspective, 
sans the arrogance, elitism, and pugnacity. Oh, right on. Okay. I have like five questions about that. But you just mentioned, too, about like the health of your church. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Brian and I have been doing the show for about a year. Uh, the church has been center stage for a number of unfortunate things, particularly in Chicago land. The last, there's been oh, yeah. a lot of division. Like we yeah. just seem to see, it doesn't. And I know it's not a new thing, but you actually are really passionate about a theology of unity and what that looks like. I'm, I'm curious if you could just expound on that a little bit. On the theology of unity, yeah. Well, Why do we see so much division in the first place? Well, some of the division that we see is necessary and good because some people are heretics and they're leading people astray. Right. Some division is important because some pastors, while they are not heretics, they are abusers and they need to, they need to be called out and held accountable. Yeah. Um, but a lot of the division that's happening in the church today is unnecessary hmm. be, because, on the one hand, as a confessional Christian, which means I, I'm a I'm a believer that holds to a historic confession of faith called the Second London Confession or the 1689 Baptist. Confession. So I hold to that. That is a summation of what I hold to be true theologically. Now, what that does is it provides me a, a way in which there are distinctions. I'm not going to say division, but distinctions between mm. me and my Presbyterian and congregational and Lutheran brothers. But it also provides the basis upon which we have a lot of unity because mm. you can see, like, wow, uh, a Reformed Baptist historically is also little c Catholic, meaning, oh, he's Trinitarian. He embraces those old creeds, right. uh, the Apostles' Creed, Nicaea, and all of that. And so there's a lot of room for us to have unity, and yet people continue to divide more narrowly and more narrowly, and now it's happening because of political differences right. or uh, sociopolitical differences. People are, you mm. know, either you're woke or you're asleep, and like mm. if, you're, if you're awoke, you need to take a nap, and if you're napping, you need to get woke, and nobody can be friends or, or get along, whereas I've got people, one of my friends wrote a, wrote a book called Woke Church, mm. and then I've got other friends who don't want to be my friends anymore because I didn't want to sign their anti-woke social justice gospel statement. So it's like people are just constantly dividing over things. And I think in part it is because um, we allow a passion uh, for truth to somehow get divorced from what I believe is a love for the church. Now they're Mm. going to say that they love the church even when they're dividing unnecessarily. But I I honestly think one is trumping the other when they need to be held in tandem. Yeah, that's good. So how do you navigate then as, as the pastor? Because I imagine there are things that crop up and you're constantly having to deal with disagreements. And I imagine people are bringing them to you at times and you have a leadership team and accountability and structures in place. But how do you navigate that practically for someone that's listening? They're like, you know what? I attend a local church and I, like I hear the whispers of division. I don't know what to do about it. Well, our situation is a little unique in that um, we planted this church ourselves. So we were able right. to construct the culture and really build the DNA blocks for what the church is going to be from the very beginning. So we haven't had a gossip issue in the 13 years we've been around. Hmm. Um, we've had church discipline cases, of course. We've had people sin against each other. I have had to apologize to church members before for yeah. like being unthoughtful and careless. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Because we've built a culture that is truly transparent and accountable, where we confess our sins to each other and forgive each other, we've avoided a lot of the pitfalls that are more common in some other churches. But I think the big big, big thing for us is um, we have people who voted for Hillary Clinton at our church. We have people that voted for Donald Trump in our church. And we Mm -hmm. have people that voted third party in our church. And nobody's mad. Right. At each other. Now, listen, you can think any one of those candidates, I'm going to say all three, were a pretty much a waste uh, <laughs> politically. But I understand why we, we have to make the best decisions we can based on the scripture. As we're going forward following Jesus, we should be politically involved and we should love our neighbors. And so they, they did their best. And hmm. uh, most people, uh, you know, probably made the wrong decision in, in general. Right. We yeah. all like, you know, because is there is there one right decision? So but there's no drama there because we spend a lot of our time focusing on the 
truth of God's word. Uh, mm. We're very gospel centered in that we explore all of the, the, the scripture, the whole counsel of God and, and all kinds of theology. But we try to make sure that we're constantly bringing it back to the person and work of Jesus and how those doctrines ultimately find their their zenith of application in our faith in Jesus Christ. So people are refreshed by that at Redeemer from what I hear in that um, I don't preach uh, politics. I, I, I work and, and all of our leaders that are teaching and in small groups and whatnot work really hard to make sure that we're focused on the faith. And then we find ways to apply that faith to the current situations and differences that we have right. um, in the world. So I don't know. I don't, I don't have the answer. I just can tell you in this particular church, it's a pretty peaceful church and um, we don't divide over who voted for Hillary right. and who voted for Trump. And who, you know, who's going to vote for Trump? I'll tell you what, a lot more people are going to probably wind up voting for Trump this, this season hmm. uh, because the other options have gone crazier. <laughs> and uh, I'm just, uh, I'll, I'll tell you right now, I'll go ahead and predict that Trump's going to win again. And I'm not saying he's the right choice. I'm just telling you he's going to win again because his opponents don't know what they're doing. That's hmm. what's going to happen. So you've somehow been able to navigate all this tension then, which I, I imagine part of what you're describing is what a lot of pastors want. They're like, yeah, I, I want our church to be a space for people who voted far left, far right, somewhere in between, to still all be able to call this place home. Yeah. And I think a lot of leaders end up finding that a lot harder to pull off than they realize. It's harder when you're dealing with an established church that has established cultures and presuppositions and ideologies that are dominant. And therefore, uh, when people begin to push against that stuff, hmm. there is a reaction. Whereas for us, the, we, we sought to develop a culture that was deeply theological um, but very uh, forgiving, right? That's like uh, I couldn't be the pastor in most churches because I would say <laughs> the wrong thing and get fired. But at Redeemer, like they know, I don't have to pretend at all. They know exactly who I am, what I believe. They hold That's me right. accountable. So if I'm sinning, they will say, "Hey, you got to knock right, it off." Right. But yeah, we don't. We don't have these hard. Like I'll give you an example. Uh, our church is very much pro-life, um, anti-abortion. We uh, we think abortion is is, is a horrible uh, holocaust that needs to be com- that needs to come to an end. So there is something, and we don't consider that to be a political issue, um, but a moral issue and a mm. spiritual issue. So that that's where we land uh, among the leadership at our church. But I would imagine that as we're reaching new people and new people are coming into our church, in fact, I've seen that where like right. they have a completely different ideology, and we right. don't blow them out of the water with. With some, you know, sort of like dismissive, like, how could you possibly think that? We try to mm. understand where they're coming from and help them move along. But when it comes to the, it, the things that are, for us, more open-handed, uh, we treat them that way. Yeah. You, know, you, you want to you go that way? Then fine. The whole marijuana thing, everybody's freaking out about right, marijuana. Right. Um, and we, our approach is, is to let the scripture speak as much as possible, let our historic theology address the issue as much as possible. Mm. And then um, give people some room to figure it out. That's really good, man. All right, coming up next, I want to ask you about Calvinism. You literally wrote this, if I could just quote you, happy Calvinist versus self-righteous, contentious Calvinist. This is a question that Brian and I have danced around a couple of times. I'm really curious to kind of get your insight. That's coming up next with Joe Thorne on the week of special in-studio guests here on The Common Good, AM 1160. Hope for your life. Everyone, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins. Brian Fromm is gone all week. I'm told he'll be back next week. I believe it when I see it. But you can uh, find us on Facebook, Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com. We are joined in studio right now, though, incarnate, I might say, if that's okay. Mm-hmm. Which, uh, all right. In the flesh... <laughs> We both hit the exact same note, by the yeah. way. Did we just become that, best that's friends? That's our theological <laughs> unity being expressed in music. That's what that is. 
If theology were a superhero, we just became it. Anyway, that we're other the wonder, voice, we're the Wonder Twins. Then that's what you're the saying. Wonder, we exactly. are the Wonder Twins. I'm, you're the girl. I'll, be, I'll make T-shirts. I'm I'm fine with that. That's okay. We can talk about that later. Uh, you can uh, find out about Joe Thorne though all over the World Wide Web. The name of your church again is Redeemer Fellowship, and the name of your podcast is Doctrine and Devotion. So I cannot encourage you enough. Check out both of them. And you were recently just on the Babylon Bee podcast. Is that right? Is yeah, that, yeah, that was that was fun. Yeah, Babylon B, like those guys. They've actually tweeted about you a couple of times, but they also like they seem to have, and maybe this is just a new fad right now. There's a lot, a lot of depictions of Calvinists as just like angry and mean and contentious. And I know that you care deeply about right this particular idea. Like, oh, so the way that you wrote it in our talking points, so it's happy Calvinist, and there's also self righteous. Uh, contentious Calvinist, like yeah, there is posers. with everything. There's poser right. Calvinist. Yeah. All right, talk to me a little bit about that. What is a happy Calvinist? I got in trouble. I did an <laughs> I interview. With, I did an interview with Ed Stetzer one time about fake Calvinists, and I just was talking <laughs> about these angry, self-righteous Calvinists. Right. Um, all right. So th- the difference, I think, is that the doctrines of grace, right? Reformed theology in general. So I think you know Westminster uh, Confession of Faith. The doctrines of grace. It, reveal to us a, a God who is sovereign and loving and a humanity that is hateful and depraved and unbelieving and God in his grace and mercy saves us and brings us to himself and blesses us with every spiritual blessing and then sanctifies us in all of this. That biblical theology should produce humility and joy in the life of a believer. No, mm. and forget Calvinism. All Christians should be able to say that, right? Right. God's love for the sinner, saving us through Christ alone, should produce uh, joy uh, in, in the life of every believer, humility, mm. um, and a zealous kind of evangelism. And unfortunately, there is a caricature of Calvinists that's been around for a while, and, but I've, I've definitely seen it in the last 10 to 15 years quite mm. a bit. Where Calvinists are portrayed as angry, uh, pugnacious, and overly divisive um, leaders, hmm. and the reason that character is drawn, caricature is drawn, is because many of us look that way or looked that way, hmm. and there's a whole host of reasons why, and I care less about why people wind up this way, I, but. What's key is it's not the Calvinism that produces the contentious Christian. It's a, a, it's a proud heart. Hmm. And that can happen in non-Calvinist theology, Calvinist theology. Right. You can be a liberal. You can be um, a conservative sure. politically. It's not the ideology that produces the self-righteousness. There is a heart problem. And for a lot of Calvinists, what, what, I, what I've seen happen, what happened to me when I was in college was uh, – become thoroughgoing Calvinist and you read lots of books and because you are infatuated, you read a lot, you study a lot, you learn how to articulate these doctrines and you find that in a lot of your relationships, others haven't done the same kind of research or the same mm. level of research. So it's easy to feel as if you are smarter or more well-read and maybe you even are more well-read on particular doctrines. But instead of having the meek spirit that Jesus does, who mm. knew infinitely more than the dumb sinners he was talking to all the time, <laughs> uh, we adopt this condescending tone and approach that uh, that makes us look really bad. And we're so like we're so incensed about bad theology and the damage or potential damage that it's causing that we, we lose the ability to build bridges with people that can help them to see the truth of what we espouse. And so here's the mm. bottom line for me. Um, my job as a pastor, and I think being a pastor has helped me in this. Mm. Uh, my job is to, part of my job is to help people to see the truth 
uh, embrace the truth, believe the truth, obey the truth. So I want to bring people from where they are to where they could be, right? Definitely beyond where I'm at. And I can't help people transition, move. I can't help people to see the error in their thinking and to embrace the truth if I'm yelling at them. Right. I've got to... I've got to win them with mm. the truth. And so, yeah, I, there are some Calvinists out there that are wonderful people that are thoroughgoing um, Calvinists. Like I love, I'll just, I'll, I'll, the guys at Ligonier, I yeah. know those guys. I yeah. love those guys. They are, they are super smart. Mm. They're humble and godly. Um, the Scottish Presbyterian guys that uh, at the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals, I was just at a conference with them. It was me. And a bunch of Scottish Presbyterian guys <laughs> preaching. And uh, it's all suited up with their accents and their brains <laughs> and their hearts. They were godly, like sensitive, awesome men. That's awesome. But then there are other, other Calvinists that are well known that, um, <laughs> that really need to be put in time out. <laughs> put in time. Any come to mind? I, wanna, yes. I don't want to. Yes. Should I bait you like mm-hmm. that? Is that? There are lots of them. Like, I wonder if, and you said that this is maybe not the thing you're interested in, in understanding or going after. But I think you're right that anyone can end up in a contentious, self-righteous place. And it doesn't necessarily even mean that their theology led them there. You know, like I grew up in a big, aggressive family and we just speak our mind. And then when I, you know, became a Christian and was hanging out with Christians, people like, well, that was mean. I was like, I was just communicating efficiently. I was just telling you quickly what I think. And I didn't realize that was mean. By the way, that is the right way to live (laughs) for the record. The way I'm living? Yes. I'm so glad you're on the show. Say what you mean (laughs) and give everybody the benefit of the doubt. Stop being dramatic. Everybody. See, I didn't know that that was, I didn't know there were other options. I know. When I, I went to college, I was like, oh, I thought everyone talked like this and spoke their mind. And How many times in college did you have like a woman, a young woman walk away from the lunch table crying and you're like, why is she crying? Men, Bro, why is she crying? Yeah, we're just men, talking. Men and women. I've had yeah, people, yeah. and I'm not even proud of this, but I've certainly had people years after the fact like, hey man. One time, over by the student mailboxes, you said this, and that really hurt me. And I'm like, why are we talking about this now? Yeah. Like, tell me then. I'm sorry. Like, I didn't, you yeah. know. And again, I think I'm with you. Being a pastor has actually, I think, helped grow yeah, me totally. and matured me in that regard. What advice would you give to someone listening right now that's thinking, as you're describing this, they're like, wait a minute. I think I might be an angry Christian, or I might be a self-righteous Christian. I was for a long time. What would you um, say to them? What, what hope or encouragement or challenge would you give to them? <laughs> I don't know, man. I, I, I can, I can tell you, I, I'll tell you this. Um, you're a dummy. Check yourself. You don't know anything. You don't, you don't know. I don't know anything. None of us do. <laughs> I, I've read a lot of books. I've written five very small books. Hey-o. Uh, I don't know anything. There are guys that I think are brilliant that are genuinely like theological giants who are alive today. Right. And they are not arrogant. Right. So where do we get off thinking that we are arrogant? All I can tell you is what happened to me. I read a book called... A Vital Godliness, a treatise on experimental and practical piety. Wow. And that book, uh, I was reading it out loud to Jen, senior year in college, because uh, that's how we dated. We read Puritans <laughs> and Reformed literature to each other. So steamy. Um, wow. So, and he, I read him on spiritual darkness, and it described me. I read him on spiritual backsliding, and it described me. No and I kidding. wasn't living an ungodly life that was openly, obviously ungodly, but pride, arrogance, all this stuff. And then I heard, believe it or not, I heard a John MacArthur sermon which convicted me of my pride and arrogance. Wow. And uh, God began to bring in Puritan literature in particular that exposed the darkness in my own heart that 
began to slowly move me towards a position where I could see wow. the problems that I needed to address. So I, I just had the right influences coming in. Read people that address the heart. You need to be reading people that address the heart because uh, you, you might not have people speaking to your heart enough. Right. Man, that is a good challenge. I mean, we got like 30 seconds. Any other books that come to mind, books that spoke to the heart or preachers that you would consider people like track down and listen Man, to? Purpose Driven Life by... Yeah. Uh, no. Um, <laughs> no, I, I honestly... Puritan sermons, you can just huh. go online. But um, I would say uh, an uplifting for the downcast was helpful for, for me. Hmm. Um, the bruised read was helpful for me. Uh, it, it sort of depends on where you are. If, you, if yeah. you're proud, you need to be taken down a couple of notches. There are certain books. If you're broken and weary, there are other books that you yeah, can read. Yeah, right, man. That's good. All right, Jeff Thorne, I'm so glad you're here. In the, for the, I mean, for an entire hour, by the way. So, Well, for four or nine minutes. I that's guess. true. Yeah, including the commercials. Uh, yeah. Not including the ones that you read for us, which I really appreciate. Well done. That's right, yes. <laughs> All right, let's see if we can't talk a little whiskey and cigars Ooh. along with theology oh in the local church. How about that? Coming up next here on The Common Good, AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins. Brian Fromm is out of town, but I am joined for one final segment with the illustrious, the magnanimous, the prodigious. Is that a word? The man of dwarfian proportions. (laughs) Tell me that's on a bio somewhere for you. I'm called the angry dwarf a lot. You are? Yeah. I wasn't aware of this. Yeah, because I had the big beard and people were like, you're like Gimli. You're like, you're like, oh, you're like cranky. I got that a lot. People are so unimaginative. Steve McCoy. Steve McCoy is a good friend of mine. Yeah. Uh, he, uh, he registered angrydwarf.com. I think it was him, and he pointed it to my blog. It was either him or Jimmy. Now I'm forgetting who it was, but it was one of those guys. <laughs> is that still active? I can no, go no, that. Oh, no. All right. Somebody got me a domain. Actually, I probably shouldn't say it on air. Anyway, mm, uh, wow, so we'll talk about off mm. air. Right. So you're a pastor. You're an author. You are a podcaster. Why don't you give us some of the specifics on that one more time, just in case people are joining us. I pastor Redeemer Fellowship in St. Charles. Charles, Illinois. You can Google it. I'm uh, a co-host of the best podcast you can listen to if you like to hear two guys bust chops and uh, banter too much. Then finally get to robust reformed theology, doctrineanddevotion.com. You can find that there. So I know that uh, when you're recording this podcast, there are often cigars and or whiskey involved. Is that true? Or is that not in the recording process? That is a... Yeah, no, it's a, that, that's oftentimes true. But it's not like, hey, we're going to record a podcast, so let's smoke. It is, I'm always <laughs> smoking cigars all day, every day. So, of course, I am smoking when we... If you're conscious, um, whatever that activity and yeah, is. No, we right. have listeners. They, listeners send us cigars. They send us whiskey. They, no oh, yeah, we, yeah our, our listeners are awesome. They're very generous, very kind. They just sent us these, like, gnawing whiskey glasses that are matte black and glass. No all kidding. crazy. Yeah, people, people take really good care of us. So, yeah, it's not uncommon for us to have a smoke or a, uh, a pour of whiskey when so, recording. Yeah, talk to me more about that, because I know the, the cigar smoking in particular is not just anecdotal. It wasn't like an accidental. Like, you, it is a very specific thing that you I, I feel like you're almost known for it for better or for worse I've been smoking cigars literally the real definition of the word literally since <laughs> yeah, not that new Merriam Webster definition I'm not going to go off again on it um, since third grade no I kidding. used to I used to steal cigars from the local grocery store and then go behind my grandma's PCUSA church because I knew they wouldn't care and I would smoke my cigars behind her church wow and uh, so I've I've 
Oh, my, both my parents smoked a lot. I didn't smoke cigarettes, they but did, I like okay. cigars. And um, yeah, so I've been smoking cigars for a long time. I didn't when I was at Moody because I wasn't allowed to. Right. I actually did listen to the rules. You did. Yeah, didn't smoke cigars. Is, it, is that because you were a rule follower in no, general? You no, weren't. Well, I mean, I don't know. I'm not a rule. F- <laughs> All my friends would say I'm not a rule follower. <laughs> right. But I know I told them I wouldn't. I mean, I just signed it. So you signed it. Yeah, I'm, I'm, like, I, I'm going to keep my word. I'm not going to smoke. So when I graduated, I walked across the aisle. I had cigars in my pocket. And I lit up when I got <laughs> out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I like I like cigars. And cigars are just a very relaxing. My wife hates cigars. She hates the smell of cigars. Oh, she does. Okay, she does not approve. But uh, but she knows like wow, it, it it gives Joe a little bit of calmness, and not because it's a blunt. I, I smoke a cigar <laughs> because I like tobacco and I like the flavor. But it, it calms me down, and I can do it while I read. And right. Um, so yeah, it's a great shared experience with friends. Yeah. So that's one of the things our mutual friend Rob Davidson, mm-hmm. Ryan Guerra, some of these guys have also shared serious cigar guys. Yeah. Similar stories though about the communal nature yeah. of smoking a cigar. I mean, not that you couldn't do it alone. Mm-hmm. I'm curious. Can you talk to me a little bit more about the, kind of the communal nature of that? But also, uh, I, I want to get a little evangelistic. Let, yeah. Let's assume someone's listening and they're completely appalled right. that you're a pastor mm-hmm. who is okay with alcohol consumption of any kind or the smoking of tobacco. Right. Like, like what would you say to that person who okay, like, we'll can't start, believe we'll, it? We'll start with that. Okay. Um, what I would say to that, to that man or woman is that... Um, the, the ideas that you have about sin and righteousness might be a little off because my sins are far more grievous and heinous than the perceived sin or the peccadillo of smoking a cigar. Hmm. Um, see, what we believe as Christians is that uh, the only things that we can call sin and the only things that we can say are righteous are things that the, the word of God specifically tells us. Hmm. And so we take those sins and then those, those calls to action or righteousness very seriously. We want to, we want to repent wherever we can and we want to do good wherever we can. And simply put smoking a cigar is, um, is not considered a sin in Scripture. Of course, it was, wasn't a thing that was done back right, then. Right, But there isn't even a category for it in Scripture. And so um, I would say I need salvation, deliverance, and sanctification from all of my sins, and they're all very bad. Hmm. Uh, that just doesn't happen to be one of them. And what I would say is if you're, if you're not a believer, but you're, you're offended at maybe some of the things that I do— I would ask, well, why? What is it about this that offends you? Hmm. Where is your sense of morality or righteousness or perhaps, if I can push back, self-righteousness coming from? Hmm. Um, what about your sins and what is your hope for forgiveness, for cleansing? And while I do want to be a man who walks in integrity and does what is right, I am going to fail when I do. I have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, who has fully paid for all of my sins, and then he shows me the way to live. Hmm. So I'm open to that, and I'm open to being shown where I'm wrong. I really am, and sometimes I have to change the way I think and the things that I do because of it. But what I would encourage you to do, if you're, you're hearing this, like, why would I listen to a pastor that smokes? Right, don't right. listen to me. Don't worry about me. Huh. I would say worry about yourself, read the Word of God, and let the Word of God confront you where you need to be confronted so that you can be right with God and then... Uh, what would I say? Transformed in such a way that you can live yeah. right before God. That's really good. All right, so what would you say about the second part of that question? That the communal nature that yeah. you've experienced, and not just experienced, I mean, I think proactively cultivated uh, as a pastor and a lover of people and like investing in those. Right. Like, we'll t- talk about that well, a little Well, even bit. just at the most basic, like, worldly level, right? Um, I travel a fair bit. I go all over the country, and wherever I go, I look for two things. I look for the local donut shop and the local cigar shop. <laughs> right? um, not in that order. And I walk, into a, I walk into a cigar shop, and look, if you look, if people look, if you don't know what I look like I look like white trailer trash that's what I look like I have a beard I, I have tattoos all of my hands and everything I, I should just wear a white dirty wife beater and walk around people would just know okay that's that's, that's trailer trash so that's what I look like right to most people I think who don't know me 
But I walk into a cigar shop anywhere in the country, pretty much anywhere in the country. It could be super high-end, very highfalutin and fancy, or it can be a mom-and-pop shop, just one room with some chairs. Mm. I walk in there, and those men treat me well. They're like, hey, how are you? What's your name? Have a seat. We, we sit down. A cigar shop is uh, one of the rare places where you can meet men, mm. some women, but you can meet men and have honest conversations with them about life, art, politics, religion, uh, family, and they'll receive you. Yeah, and, right. and so, and part of why it works so well is because you have the shared experience of a cigar, which takes a minimum of forty-five minutes to right, complete. Right. So you're there, you're sort of stuck. You're you're sharing this thing, this good thing, this gift from God that you should receive with gratitude and thankfulness, so that you don't abuse it. Hmm. And um, so that translates very well into the Christian community. However, my caution would be: uh, if you don't smoke cigars and don't like cigars, then don't bother trying to get into cigars. <laughs> right. Find whatever it is that you do like and find a way to share it with other people, because that's the most important thing in terms oh, of these experiences. Goodness. What a note to end on, man. I think that's so wise. I'm grateful that you're here in Chicagoland. I, your life and ministry has affected so many people that I care deeply about. So even just by proxy, I'm grateful for you and your influence, man. Uh, can I put you on the on the spot on the air? Can you come back again sometime? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Just, uh, you know. Should I have cigars? Little, cigars ready little, next time? It's a little, little boring in here. Maybe you do something. <laughs> all right. I'll, I'll bring something we'll if you want. We'll get a poster with your face on it by the time uh, okay, you come back. Right, we can right, make that. Yeah. Something, well, you know. No, I'm not talking about the core. Okay, I get what you're saying. I, I understand. I saw the wink. I'm picking, mm-hmm. I'm okay. picking up on okay. what you're putting down. Mm-hmm. Well, that's been Joe Thorne joining us for the entire hour on this week of guests. Joe, thank you so much for joining us here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life.